to Revelation chapter 7. We'll read God's word together. So Revelation chapter 7 says this. After this, I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding back the four winds of the earth, that no wind might blow on earth or sea or against any tree. Then I saw another angel ascending from the rising of the sun with the seal of the living God. And he called with a loud voice to the four angels who had been given power to harm earth and sea, saying, Do not harm the earth or the sea or the trees until we have sealed the servants of our God on their foreheads. And I heard the number of the sealed, 144,000 sealed from every tribe of the sons of Israel. 12,000 from the tribe of Judah, were sealed, 12,000 from the tribe of Reuben, 12,000 from the tribe of Gad, 12,000 from the tribe of Asher, 12,000 from the tribe of Naphtali, 12,000 from the tribe of Manasseh, 12,000 from the tribe of Simeon, 12,000 from the tribe of Levi, 12,000 from the tribe of Issachar, 12,000 from the tribe of Zebulon, 12,000 from the tribe of Joseph, 12,000 from the tribe of Benjamin were sealed. After this I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white clothes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshipped God, saying, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honour and power and might be to our God forever and ever Amen. Then one of the elders addressed me, saying, Who are these clothed in white robes, and from where have they come? I said to him, Sir, you know. And he said to me, These are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore they are before the throne of God, and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat. For the Lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd, and he will guide them to springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And that is God's word uh, for us tonight. May God indeed speak to us through his word. Well, last week, if you were here last week, And even if you weren't, let me tell you what we did look at. We looked at Revelation chapter 6. And Revelation chapter 6 has moved very cleverly from Revelation 4 and 5. You see how bright I am. So Revelation 4 and 5, we're looking at a scene in heaven. We thought about that, a scene in heaven there. And then the 
is it like we look down to earth the lamb has opened the seven seals or one of the seven seals and last week we considered six of those seven seals that were opened and the devastation and the destruction came upon this earth and God's judgment that came upon this earth and we finished last week as you can do keep your Bibles open at Revelation 7 but if you just look up the last verse in Revelation chapter 6 the people cried out they knew why this was coming upon them they knew this was the wrath of the Lamb the great day of their wrath has come and the cry went out who can stand who can stand this awful judgment this tribulation that has appeared and we thought in in the fifth seal how there were there were those who had been martyred for the cause of Christ during that time and we might think then is persecution is tribulation a great hindrance to God's work in salvation and the answer to that as we'll see tonight and as we'll see as we could see easily through history is no it is not a great hindrance to God's work in salvation. You know, back in the first century, uh, when the book of Revelation was written, just at the end of the first century, John wrote this, the Roman Empire persecuted many. They killed many, many Christians indeed, who wouldn't just uh, bow the knee, as it were, to Caesar. They stood against that. And there's many accounts of not just Roman citizens, but Roman soldiers who converted when they saw the zeal of those who had been martyred for the cause of Christ. And those who are in the know, um, or say they're in the know anyway, um, reckon that for every martyr, two people came converted as a result of seeing that great witness. And we'll see tonight then the, the great work of God that is occurring. You know, last week we just put it in the Old Testament framework and we looked at Daniel chapter 9 to just put where this is, where does this all occur, this, these scenes of tribulation. And I just want a little recap. Someone said, it's always good to get feedback and one, one of the feedback I got last week was, was this. Someone said to me, oh you put a lot of work into that. Well as some of you know who preach, that's often code for, I didn't understand everything you said. You know, so you can decipher that. Some people who preach now, oh is that what that means? Okay. Right, well that's how I take it and it often does I think. Okay. So we looked last week at Daniel chapter 9 and Daniel had a vision of 70 weeks. 77's we called it. 400 190 years which would start from the account of the order given to be rebuild Jerusalem and we could see quite clearly in Daniel chapter 9 that there was a break after the 69th week Messiah would be cut off it's called seven weeks then 62 weeks or sevens as it were and then the, the this last week this 70th week or this 70th seven this period of seven years would commence um, with a covenant being made a firm covenant being made halfway through that seven years that covenant is broken and there's great tribulation and one makes desolate there's someone who comes and makes desolate we said that was the antichrist and of course what we see at the end of the 70 years or the 70th week is this that the one who makes desolate is made desolate himself 
Okay, and then it says everlasting righteousness comes in, referring to the kingdom. So, in this period, in Revelation 6 to 19, we're predominantly looking at the tribulation period. But not so altogether tonight, and I'll bring that before you. Chapter 7 really does bring before us a clear and immediate answer. Who can stand? Who can stand? And we've got two groups of people tonight we're going to think about in chapter 7. I've called them the sealed and the saved. That's not an original title, but it's a pretty obvious title. Verses 1 to 8, we'll see that there are those who are sealed, have the seal of the living God upon them. We'll think about them. And then verses 9 to 17, we'll think of those who are saved. So there's two groups of people for us to consider tonight. Number one, the sealed. There's a specific number. 144,000, a specific number indeed. Um, We'll see that they are of the tribe of Israel. They are the sons of Israel. Okay, so they're of one race in particular. And I'm going to suggest to you that they are those who go in to the tribulation. They are sealed and they go in. More on that in a moment. The second group are the saved. Now, unlike the first group, there's no given number for them, is there? There's no given number. Um, So there is a great multitude, as we see in verse 9, that no man could number. Now, I've listened to sermons, in fact, by people I admire. And uh, when they went to the first part, 144,000, they said, well, that just means a really big number of people. Well, I've got a real big problem with that. Because if John meant to say just a big number of people, he could use the very same words he used in verse 9 and said a great multitude that no one could number or something like that. There's a specific number given in the first group, a non-specific number in the second group. And what we see, not only is it a non-specific number, it's not just from Israel. What we've read, this second group, are from all tribes and peoples and languages. So out of every tribe, every language group, everyone, there is a huge number of of people, mainly Gentiles but Jews as well I would think, there's no reason why not and rather going into the tribulation, I'm going to bring before you tonight that these are those who go out of the tribulation, we'll see that verse 14, these are those who are coming out of the tribulation Okay, so these two groups, they are both I'm going to submit to you, seen upon the earth now just in these introductory remarks, we're not given explicitly the link between the two. Not explicitly. Group one, this group of Jews, sealed, servants of God to do his work. And then we see a great multitude who have become saved by God. Well, I'm going to suggest heavily implied is that they are those, the first group are the ones who preach and the second group are those who respond to the message of the preacher. And I think that backs up what the Lord Jesus said in Matthew chapter 24. Matthew 24 is a little summary of these passages. But you remember, the Lord Jesus Christ in Matthew 24 verse 14 said this, And this gospel of the kingdom... 
Okay, this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness to all nations and then the end shall come. So a gospel of the kingdom after the tribulation period, there's a time when Christ's kingdom will be set up upon this earth, this physical kingdom. The tribulation period will end, there's seven years, and then comes the Lord Jesus Christ and his kingdom is set up upon this world, this thousand year reign of Christ we see in Revelation chapter 20. So I think although it doesn't explicitly says that we can deduce that from what scripture says so those who are sealed let's think about that do keep your bibles open please it starts off verse 7 or chapter 7 after this this chapter is is, i'm going to suggest to you a parenthesis we've seen six seals opened When we turn to chapter 8 next week, if the Lord not come, if we're still here, we will see the seventh seal opened. Okay. And that's chronological in time. Now what we have tonight in chapter 7 here, of course, is chronological in the sense that John saw this vision next. This was the next vision that he saw. But I don't think it's chronological in the time, in the order of events. And I think I'll be pretty clear soon. Um, well, I'll tell you why I think that. And I, I think you'll agree with me, but you can tell me afterwards. If you don't, that's fine. Um, on that. Uh, so we, we understand this. Why is John given this? Why is John now given this vision? Well, you and I, as we read, well, we, you've read Revelation before, many of you. But if we, as, as we read last week, those six seals opened, we thought of 25% of the world being killed. We thought of awful devastation and destruction as the Lamb opened those scrolls. And we might think, what is going on? Is there anything of God's salvation in these times? And the answer to that is yes, there is. Because there are those who are going to be sealed. Let's think about them. We read um, here, there are four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding back the four winds of the earth. Now some of these things are just figures of speech. When it says the four corners of the earth, we're not to really think that John thought the earth was flat. Okay, you know, let's... We need to be a bit reasonable on this. We could spend a time. We're not going to... I think you're... As I look, I think you all understand that John didn't think the world was flat. A figure of speech. The four corners of the earth. And what happens... Uh, the new wind, which is often associated with judgment, might blow. That is why that sort of, this judgment, which is to come, is being held back. Another angel ascending, maybe in rank there, comes from the rising of the sun. That is the, from the east. And he has this seal. So judgment is being held back. And there is a seal coming up. So where from the sun, where the sun comes up in the east, um, this angel ascends. It's almost like there's, gonna, there's a sh- there's a chink of light, there's a shaft of light, and there's all this darkness that is going to be shine, shone upon here, and in this vision that John sees. And he has a seal of the living God. 
Now we will know, many of us, when we're not that we've used a seal like this, but sealing refers of indeed, we've seen them in history, films and things like that, an envelope or a piece of paper turned over, a put of wax on, and the king you know, puts his seal there, an imprint there. It authenticates that which is in the scroll or the paper. It shows that he owns it. It gives this security to it. And that's the idea here. But it's not a seal of just some earthly king. This seal is the seal of God. He's going to stamp his ownership and his security upon, not a document, but upon people. And the angel has this. Now we can see elsewhere in scripture. Maybe um, will time allow? Yeah, let's uh, just a little bit. Keep in Revelation. But if you look to Ezekiel, just if I, I'll just sort of illustrate this. In Ezekiel chapter 9, please. And it's very interesting uh, and illustrative for us, I think. Because in Ezekiel chapter 9, Jerusalem is about to be judged. And we've got to see a judgment in the book of Revelation. But you look at um, Ezekiel chapter 9, and I'll read at verse 4. And the Lord said to him, This is a man who is clothed in linen, who had a writing case at his, ra- at his waist. And the Lord said to him, Pass through the city, through Jerusalem, and put a mark on the foreheads of the men who sigh and groan over all the abominations that are committed into it. And to the others he said in my hearing, pass through the city after him and strike. Your eyes shall not spare and you shall show no pity. So we'll just stop there, just illustrating. Jerusalem is about to be judged. But God puts a mark or a seal, it's his servant to, on the people who are moaning and sign over the abominations. Those really, I'm going to suggest, who have faith in God. Those who are a true remnant. So the picture there is of people giving, being given a seal. And so when we come to Revelation chapter 7, we see a people who are being sealed as well. And this is... As we've said, 144,000 from the tribe of Israel, or the sons of Israel. These are Jewish people who are going to be sealed. God puts his seal on them, not just because they're his by creation. That's true of everyone. But his by redemption. His by redemption. They are marked for salvation and we see they have a specific purpose, okay, we see in verse 3 there, until we have sealed the servants or some uh, probably maybe a better translation would be the slaves of our God, those who are going to go out and do his work. So God the seal of the living God is going to be put on these 144,000 and as I've said earlier I think the idea is that they will be saved and they will go and take the message of the gospel of the kingdom into this world interesting isn't it to think nowadays that in this world in which we live that the most dispersed people group probably is the Jewish people and and around this world now Jewish people is all, all around the four corners if I can use the language of scripture speak many different languages 
And I just find that sort of interesting. Because across this world, as we're going to see, people from all language groups will come to faith in Christ. And what we see in this tribulation time is these will go in, these 12 or 144,000, and speak to many. I just find that so interesting that God might, in his providence, use his people speaking many different languages to go to many different language groups. But that is by the wayside anyway. And what we see is they're going to be preserved. Okay, They're going to be faithful in these terrible times, and God will preserve them. Reminding us that all of these judgments who are, that are going to come, God is well able to preserve those whom he desires to keep alive and to serve his purposes. We have seen already that there will be some who will be martyred in, in this time, we're seeing the fifth seal. There were those under the altar. It was said, you know, said, "How long, O Lord? How long?" And the answer, "Come, will this tongue still going to die in this tribulation time?" And so they do die, but there'll be some who do not. We'll think more about that in a moment. And as I sat back in my chair in my study, I reflected on this, and I bring it to you today as well. The seal of God is upon each and every one of us who are in Christ. And I will not die, and you will not die, one second before God intends it to occur. And equally, I will not live one second after the appointed time which God has given for me. You know, we can truly say my times are in his hands. No matter what comes, my times are in his hands. The psalmist says this, you, Your eyes saw my unformed substance in your book, were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. And so God will keep his people. He will keep you he will keep them alive as long as he intends them to do. And we will not go from this earth until it is his time. There's some old servant of God, I can't remember now, I don't know if that was Whitfield, I can't remember, he says, you know, I am immortal until God calls me home. And we knew what he meant by that, yeah. We knew, what he, it doesn't mean to just uh, take irrational risks, okay, and just put your Lord, your God to the test, you know, obviously not. But we need to remember that as well. He is in control. He is sovereign over these things. He is all wise. He is all wise. You know, Acts chapter 12, James and Peter go to prison. James is beheaded and Peter is miraculously released, isn't he? Why so? Why James beheaded? Why Peter released like that? It's in God's all-wise, all-loving, all-caring plan. These people are marked out for the purpose that God has for them. They are sealed. And you are sealed. You are sealed if you're a believer in Jesus Christ. Every Christian has been sealed. Let me read what Ephesians chapter 1 says. In you, Paul writes to the believers, 
when you, in you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. So God's ownership of us is evidenced by the Holy Spirit who indwells each and every believer, and that is a seal. Now when there's a seal, that cannot come out, right? to put it in that vernacular type of language. So that's a reason people cannot lose their salvation. A Christian is sealed with the Holy Spirit and doesn't depart from them. And you are sealed by the Spirit of God. We were chosen, yes, in Christ before the foundation of this world. But our sealing occurred when we came to Christ. And here's a people who are sealed. Okay, here's a people who are sealed at a point in time. And the question might be then, when is that point in time? When is that point in time? When did, when did these 144,000 get saved? <coughs> well, it must be after the rapture, mustn't it? Because if it was before the rapture, they'd be raptured. That's evident. They go in to the tribulation period, I believe. Okay, so it's after the rapture. And why I'm saying they go in before the seals are broken is this. If you noticed, and you did, hold everything back. Hold the judgment back. And do not, I'll read it again, verse 3. Do not harm the earth or the sea or the trees until... We have sealed the servants of our God on their foreheads. So there's to be no harm, no devastation until we've done this sealing, until they come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. So there is a time, there is a time between the rapture of the church and the beginning of the, tri of the tribulation period, as we've said already, and in that time, great God is doing great things in salvation. A people who are Jewish. Many Jews are coming to faith in Jesus Christ. Praise God for that. And yes, it is the 144,000. Yes, we know the number 12 carries symbolic implications. We understand that. We do understand that. You know, the 12 is you know, perfect administration or perfect judgment. That's the, what the number 12 represents in the Bible. But that doesn't make that fact of 12 being the number of perfect government does not make it any less specific and literal when we come to this passage I'm going to suggest there are 144,000 from 12 of the tribes now the observant of you which is pretty much all of you will have noticed that there's a couple missing and in scripture there's about 20 lists of the tribes and they're always a little bit different okay so we're not going to spend time tonight you'll be glad to know going all through those different lists and why they're a little bit different one of the reasons is is because i don't know why they're a little bit different so but um in this one you'll notice the tribe of dan is missing and normally uh, say when the portion was given out in the land it wasn't Joseph you had Manasseh and Ephraim well in this one you have Manasseh if you look at those lists there but you don't have Ephraim instead you have the name Joseph so Dan and Ephraim 
are missing Joseph and Levi, who now get a portion, or get a job to do, if you like, are in. Why? (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) The suggestion is that Dan and Ephraim omitted because they were, could be remarked on, as they were most connected with idolatry. Well, that's what some of the commentators say, and so thus disqualified from this great task. Later on, in Ezekiel, we see the portions given. It was given some to Dan. So, but let's not get too concerned with that tonight, okay? If you want to debate it later on, feel free. I'd suggest there's other things better to discuss. I'm not saying it doesn't matter. Everything in Scripture matters, because it's God's Word. But some things matter more than others. Okay, so there they are. And what, what I want to think about tonight, you know, the Old Testament carries the, the, the story or the record of Israel's failure. Carries that record of their failure. God had called that people to be a light to the nations, a light to the world. A testimony concerning him. And the overriding feature is basically they failed in that task. But what we see in the future is that there will be a great missionary endeavour from the Jewish people. Come into faith in Jesus Christ and taken the gospel of the kingdom into a world that is afflicted with tribulation and with persecution. This is no easy ride for them as they go into that, to these who are going to witness for Christ. And so a challenge that is for us as well, isn't it? Our job, as we have thought, is to go, as we're reminded today, to go make disciples of all nations, a commission given to us. The commission given to these 144,000 is broadly the same if we want in a different age but that commission is for us today to tell people about Jesus Christ to point to him where we can and to seek to strengthen encourage bring comfort to those who are in Christ and doing that as God enables us to do well, there will be an endeavour, a missionary endeavour, probably like this world has never seen before. You know, I was reflecting on it. You know, when our Lord Jesus Christ gave that commission in Matthew 28, the 12, or the 11, went out, and as the phrase is given, they turned the world upside down with their preaching as they go out. From that number. Just think what it's going to be like when there's 12 times 12 times 1,000, 144,000 going out with the message of salvation. It's almost like when those, those ones went out originally, what we have at the start of the first century is a foreshadowing of what is going to happen in a future time when Jews do turn to Jesus Christ. And so they do. They will go out. A message about the gospel of the kingdom. And that just basically means this. There's a coming king. There's a coming king. And to enter his kingdom is through faith in him. It will still be the message of the cross. 
It will still be the message of the death, the burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ and how forgiveness is in his name. An entrance into the kingdom is only through him and him alone. That's the message of the gospel of the kingdom in a nutshell, I'll suggest. And so they do go in to the tribulation after this time, this period when the earth is not allowed to be harmed till the sea was put on, they go in. And I'm going to suggest they have an enormous impact in this world. The saved is what we're now going to look at. We're seeing the sealed. Let's look at the saved, verses 9 to 17. God's word has enormous power now. Paul says the gospel is the power of God unto salvation for everyone who believes. And God works through the message of the gospel. The powerful message there. And transforms people, or transfers people rather, from the dominion of darkness to the kingdom of his beloved son. Makes a sinner, as we thought in the prayer meeting, into a saint in status. There is a massive, massive transformation in so many ways when a person comes to Christ. You know, I came to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, what, some 30 years ago. And I, you know, now I look back, yes, of course, a genuine salvation, all that. But I now know that I didn't understand all the, all the blessings I had in Christ then. And I don't understand them all now. And I'm growing in the knowledge that, and so are you. So are you. There is a huge transformation uh, and blessings that come because a person is in Christ. And may we constantly, as believers, seek to... Uh, want to understand that to want to grow in the grace and the knowledge of Jesus Christ you know so this message goes out a message of salvation and the fruit of the gospel preaching as we can see is there are people from all different types of racial backgrounds that's the tribes there's all cultural backgrounds and there's all different languages as John sees this vision of them standing before the throne and before the Lamb you know we thought last week uh, when we thought of one of the seals we thought how lawlessness would increase lawlessness would increase and we read, didn't we, that the restrainer had been taken out of the way. And I mentioned that that was the Holy Spirit resident in all of us and the church had been taken out and there's lawlessness. But the Holy Spirit is not absent from this world. He cannot be absent from this world because people are being saved. And he does a work of regeneration. He does a work of regeneration then. So his work is evident. You know, some people sometimes think, and I think wrongly, that the Holy Spirit just appeared in this world at Pentecost. He did not. How did people in the Old Testament get saved? Well, it wasn't from their own intuition, was it? And they worked it out. Otherwise, it's not all by grace. And so he was evident then in regeneration. He's evident here in regeneration. That's how a person gets conviction of sin and turns to faith, is enabled to turn to Christ. And the Holy Spirit will be active, raising the dead to life. And they are before the very throne of God. Now many people think this is heaven. 
and because I've now said many people, you know I'm going to say something different. Okay? I don't think so. I don't think so. It might be, but let me tell you why I don't think it is. In verse 14, we have read, when John says there is, we'll get to this in a moment, these are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. I think what John is seeing here is a vision. God in his grace has given John a vision. Yes, there is going to be a period of great tribulation in this world, this seven-year period. After that seven-year period, there will be the judgment of the nations, we'll think about that, and then there will be the kingdom of Christ set up upon this world. This world, the thousand-year reign And there will be believers who go in. There will be believers who go into that. Not resurrected, not raptured, or anything like that. They'll go in. We'll think about that in a minute. And so those who have come out of the Great Tribulation, I think John is now seeing this span, if you like. Yes, there's going to be this seven-year period upon the world. But there will be a people who are sealed and go in and preach the gospel. And out of it, many get saved. And some live and go out from there as well. These are believers who will go into the physical kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ. I want to illustrate that. I want to illustrate that. In Matthew 25, do turn to it please. Just turn to Matthew 25. So if I could illustrate this. I'll speak about what I'm speaking on. There's a, there's, um, a passage there which is sometimes called the judgment of the nations. The judgment of the nations. Yeah. And uh, Matthew chapter 25, I'm going to just read verses 31 to 34, and then just say a little bit. It says this, When the Son of Man comes in his glory, and all his angels with him, Matthew 25, 31, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate people one from another, as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats and he will put the sheep on his right and the goats on the left then the king will say to those on his right come you who are blessed by my father inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of this world now we'll just stop there so when the Lord Jesus Christ comes to this earth at the end of that tribulation period there will be something that is called the judgment of the nations. Now when I was a young Christian and quite uh, sort of immature I thought that sounds a bit odd because I thought well if you lived in a certain country you get in and if you don't live in another country you get out that, that's, of course that's not what it means one little bit. But people will be brought before him Real people, not resurrected, living upon this earth. And in, as we've seen, there's a separation, the sheep and the goats. And who will go in and live upon this earth at that time it is those who are on his right hand, the sheep. The goats will not. There will be a separation at that point. And this will introduce the mil what we call the millennial or the thousand year reign of Jesus Christ upon this earth. And at that point in the history of this world, it will almost be like there is 
no, no distance hardly between heaven and earth. There'll be hardly seen, as will be the reality, the throne will be there, but hardly Jesus Christ will rule upon this earth. When we read about that period of time, it seems hardly as if there is any distance, that heaven and earth have this close connection which they never had since the fall. Never had since the fall. But there's something like that there. The goats are taken away. And so into the kingdom will go people who have trusted in Jesus Christ during this tribulation time, who have been kept alive. Okay? And this is them. This is them. John is seeing that vision. And of course, what do we see? We see their adornment. Okay? We see their adornment. White robes representing their righteousness. And their acceptability before God. And also I think what further backs up what I'm saying is this is a vision what John sees of those who go into the kingdom. Is they have palm branches in their hands. Palm branches in their hands. There's only one other time that palm branches are mentioned in the New Testament. Only one other time. And because there's only one other time you will instantly know when that time is. And you see the connection. Because the only time that's mentioned is when the Lord Jesus Christ comes into Jerusalem. And you remember John 12 says they took out branches of palm trees, same word, only other time, and went out to meet him crying, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. And so the Lord Jesus Christ was presenting his people to, to, him, to them as a king. As a king. And people acclaimed him as the king. But there was the rejection of him. And he goes to the cross. But now for the second time, palms occur again. Because Christ is setting up his kingdom. The king is coming. And he will come this time. And his kingdom will be set up on this world. There will be people who will be with him. Physical people as you and I are in that sense. That won't be us by the way. As you know. And he will rule. He will come with his saints. He will come with his saints. You know there is a picture of this in scripture. I think. A picture of this in scripture. I won't get you to turn to it. But you'll remember when the Lord Jesus Christ once spoke to his disciples, he says, Truly I say to you, in Matthew 16, there are some of you standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. There are some of you standing here. And what happens, you remember, he takes Peter, James and John up the mount there. And Peter, James and John go up the mount and who appears, uh, who appears with the Lord Jesus Christ? It's Moses and Elijah. And the Lord Jesus, as you, like, as you remember, was transfigured before him. His glory shone out. His glory shone out. And he said to them, remember what he said to them, some of you will not, uh, will not taste death until they see the Son of Man come in his kingdom. They were going up there and they were seeing what it looks like. Here was Christ standing, and he was the one who would be the king, standing on that mount. Around him were two people. Who was there? Elijah and Moses. Very interesting, I think, you'll find. 
that Elijah never died, he was taken up. We could use the word raptured. And also with him was Moses. Well, God buried Moses. Are these representative? You know, because when Christ come, he'll come with his saints. And who are his saints? Well, it's those who have been raptured and those who have risen from the dead. Yeah? At that rapture time. Those who are alive are taken up. So that's representative. And who is below? Peter, James and John. Representative of those who enter the kingdom of God on that time. So John here is seeing, if you like, not if you like, John is seeing that which will occur after the tribulation time. A great crowd of people who are claiming the king, palm branches in their hand. Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. There is a great song. And I love it when I see in verse 10 there, they cried out with a loud voice. They cried out with a loud voice because they realised salvation is theirs. They are before the Lord Jesus Christ because they have been saved and it is all of God's grace and all of God's mercy and it is because of the work of Jesus Christ and they cannot help. Uh, we don't say they sing, oftentimes what we call songs aren't now songs, they're statements, they say, they cry out with a loud voice. And I don't know about you. But friends, shouldn't we sing as we can, as God enables, with a loud voice? Of all the people in the world who have something to sing about, it is us. Our singing should not be quiet and hardly opening our mouths. Our singing should be loud, rejoicing and exultant as we sing words of eternal truth concerning the one who has saved us. As God enables us to do that. We rejoice in that. You know, many people sing in this world. And they sing over nothing. Really. And we have great things to sing about. We cry with a loud voice. Salvation to our God and him who sits on the throne. Now, time is pressing on. So that, doesn't, that means I don't get to say who the 24 elders are. So we can go past that. Uh, we heard Boya the other week on that. And that's fine. Uh, happy with that. Um, because it does raise a little bit of confusion when we get on there's a sevenfold blessing as they bow themselves down you know, uh, perfect uh, number of perfection there's blessing, there's glory, there's wisdom thanksgiving, honour and power and John is asked a question and uh, John really basically says you know, some, one of the elders and I must admit this is where the difficulty gets in with saying the elders of the church because someone say what 124 for the church addresses him you know, okay, but it's representative. I'm going to still go with the church. But, you know, uh, we're not going to die on a hill on that one. But John says, Sir, you know. Basically what he's saying, I don't know, but I know you know. Who are these? And as we see, these are those coming out. Coming out of the great tribulation. They've washed their robes and made them white in the blood of of the lamb. That seems odd, doesn't it? To put robes in blood and they come out white. But that's the application, of course, of the death of Jesus Christ for every individual. The application of the death of Christ for every individual were considered righteous and holy in 
God's presence. They have come out of that. Amazing. Let's think about that. In the face of relentless pressure to worship the beast, uh, to take his image, to take his mark upon themselves, they have resisted, they have remained faithful, and God has kept them, God has preserved them, and they have come through that. And they're now before the throne. Is that geographically? Well, certainly morally. But remember, when you come in prayer, you come before the throne of God, yeah? You come before the very throne of grace. You enter there as well. And what do we see? Well, they serve him. There's a temple. Ezekiel, again, 40 or 44, reminds us, in the millennial reign of Christ, there will be a temple set up. There will be a temple set up. They have security. They have security. They're sheltered by the very presence of God. They have satisfaction. They will hunger no more. They have a shepherd. The lamb will be their shepherd. And they have sympathy. Tears will be wiped away. They have been preserved. They have persevered. God has done a great work. And into the kingdom they go. So the answer to the question, who can stand, which we add at the end of chapter 6. The answer is this, by God's grace and God's mercy and God's power and God's wisdom. There's a people who will be sealed and they will preach. And there will be a people who are saved. All in God's great sovereign plan. Shall we pray? Father, we bow before you. We thank you for your word tonight. And Father, as we've had a glimpse of the future, we've, we pray that's not just our minds have been filled with knowledge, but Father, that our hearts have been touched also of your grace, your mercy, and your power, and your wisdom. And that as a result of tonight, it won't be just knowledge in our heads but be increased love and devotion in our hearts, a realisation of where this world is heading, of the plans you have revealed, and that may we serve you in this world. We're thought tonight of a company of people who will serve you. And Father, that speaks powerfully to us. Help us to do that. We give thanks for the time of fellowship that we'll now have. This food and drink and pray that our conversation will bring honour and glory to you. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.